Hello and welcome to RT Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick-Cormick. In this episode, I'll be talking to fiddle player, piano player and composer Charlie Lennon, who's been a major figure in Irish traditional music for well over 50 years. He has written many fine tunes which are firmly embedded in the repertoire of musicians all over the country. He's also written large-scale work for orchestras and soloists and as an accompanist, he has been a very influential figure and a much sought after musical partner to many. And all of that before you even mention his own fiddle playing with Matt Malloy, with Mick O'Connor, with Johnny Connolly and others. Charlie's music was recently celebrated at a special concert hosted by Trad Aaron in Studio Cohen in St Spidale in Gundinagalleva and a great cast of musicians got together and played many of Charlie's compositions. Earlier that day I sat down with Charlie in one of the small studios in Studio Cohen and we spoke about many things including how Charlie became interested in tune composition in the first place. It kind of occupied my mind because I, as a kid, well, when I say as a teenager, probably, I would be asking the name of the tune, you know, of a tune. And then I'd say, well, where does it come from, you know? And they'd look at me like, this is a very strange question, um, where did it come from? They were always, they're, they're there, um, so they're there. Nobody wrote them, like, all, kind of. And I said to myself, well, somebody wrote them, but, you know, it's too far back for to know. And then I got the notion, well, how does this write them? Or how It just occupied my mind. Uh, I wasn't thinking of anything else. And um, in my 20s then, I was busy trying to catch up with things. And I was in England. And uh, when I came home in 1969, I said, said I'll have a go at something. Now, I did have a go earlier, all right. Actually, Kilty Town... A Master Seamus, I wrote those in the 60s and uh, one of them is for um, Seamus Maguire, was seven at the time or eight and he was a brilliant fiddler and I said, uh, I read a tune, if it sounds anyway good, uh, I'll give it to him and um, actually I wrote two tunes and I gave him the second tune and his father didn't like it and so I gave him the first tune and he liked that. So that was that was it until so there was a gap then until the early seventies. But when we came back, Sheila was singing on the radio, and because she was quite well known at the time, Sheila Lilarte and Kieran had her on on the program, and I tagged along and and I brought a fiddle, and he recorded me, and I put down then the road to Cashel, but. You don't. You can't realise how you don't want to part with this because it's precious and it's, or somebody people will just laugh at it and and run you down or whatever. And in Ireland in the fifties, or the forties actually, when I started, um, you were kind of shy of holding a fiddle and carrying a fiddle because there was a there was a dedicated number of people in, in in Ireland but it was getting smaller and smaller and most people and there was you know the social strata there most people just let, talked about street music it, it, that meant meant nothing it was of no value and the songs as well either only sing, or only 
whatever an expression for them, put downs, like, you know. And so you were kind of shy, and you were definitely shy if you did something new and and uh, um, wrote a tune. Cause that, that wasn't all at all, you know. Anyhow, that, that's the side, but I, uh, we came back and I played this tune on the radio and I was in Liverpool prior to that. And then I had to go back to Liverpool uh, for a black hole of some sort that brought me back to adjudicate. And some fella came over to me and he, he said he was from London. And I said, I was listening to you on the radio. And I said, oh, yeah. He says, yeah, you played a lovely tune. He says, what's, what's the name of it? I says, what? So he started listening to me. So it was The Road to Cash. <laughs> and he said, that's a great tune. So suddenly, I got enough courage to be able to say, well, I wrote this tune or I wrote that tune. But nobody was saying anything about writing tunes, as you rightly noticed. Two more reels now. First one is one of my own, called The Road to Cashel. And the second one is Miss Johnson. <laughs> During the 70s, then I wrote a few tunes, and then in the around the end of the 70s or start of the 80s, oh, I did a, an album with Mick O'Connor and I put two two tunes on it. And then sometime after that, Frankie Gavin came to me and said, "I'm putting an, an album down. Have you any tunes you could give me?" So that was more of an impetus. So I gave him a few tunes and uh, he put them down. And then '85, I think it was, uh, Gwelyn gave me the chance to do an album, and so it kind of grew through the '80s, and I got bigger then as it turned into the early '90s. So then I was into orchestral music, and suddenly I was kind of, although I was working full time on that, but I was on the train in from Hoth, and. That was a chance to be thinking about tunes. And at the end of the 80s, uh, Mick O'Connor asked me, you should put down some of those tunes because it's better to have them down now and, you know, mark them as down. So I started writing out the sheet, the sheet music on the train, on the dart. And bit by bit over a couple of months, I had the, the basis for the first book. Do you have musical training or had you had musical training or where did uh, that knowledge come from? Yeah, I, um, my mother 
noticed at, that I was starting to steal in and try and play the fiddle and she was concerned because her instrument was piano. So she immediately got me into a piano teacher. So I did the grades. Now, I, I, I had no problem in the beginning, but then things got a bit harder and harder. And then it was only, it was all girls. There was only one other fellow, and then he left. And then I thought, oh, should I not go anywhere else? So I left. So <laughs> I, he, she was very good, the teacher, and she was starting to give me a feel of a bit of background of theory, but not much. But then when I was 18 and I was playing in a band and the pianist in the band was absolutely brilliant. Not not Irish music, but just pure genius. I said, I'll have to take the piano up and read it, uh, learn it properly. So I spent two years in the, the front room where the piano was every night looking at music composed by different authors and then beginning to hear all these various harmonies and so on, which I hadn't done before. So at that stage, I um, I began to progress and understand and that helped me a bit, uh, definitely, as a basis. So I did, I did learn. Now I, I know that when I gave Seamus Maguire the, the tune, I had to write it out and, it, and the staves were all the wrong way around and so on. And he still has it. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You said earlier that, um, you know, this is something precious that you send out into the world and you can be nervous about it. So say tonight, you know, and you're in this concert and um, all these fantastic musicians are playing quite a lot of your compositions. Do, do you sit there and have you let those tunes go now or do you think, God, that second part, I probably should. You, you're, you're able to sit back and enjoy at this stage. And they've been out in the world and they've gone and uh, That's it, is it adult, way. adult children now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, they're playing their top positions, so they're playing as I wrote them, and you know, they're very, pre- very careful to play, to to play them as they were written, because there's a lot of them people, and they kind of half half learn them, and then it's destroyed all of the work that I tried to do, or do. But isn't that the thing as well that the tune travels through musicians' hands orally or through you yeah. know their heads and their yeah. ears, and so then it changes as it goes along. Then yeah, well that's part of the process, yeah. and sometimes it's a, it sounds like a better arrangement <laughs> or a better setting, but oftentimes unless unless they're careful about uh, picking up the tune as I wrote it. Um, and I've given them it in book form as well, but they don't, they don't think in book form. The, the, the funny part about that is that the, the uh, classical music and the piano and that, you're thinking of notes, but there's no keys and notes or nothing in the traditional fiddle. And I didn't need them at that time anyhow. I didn't know. I, I, I knew exactly where F was on the piano or octaves or whatever, but I, I wouldn't know immediately where an F was on the keyboard and the fiddle. I, I, as I progressed, I did, but um, it's, it's amazing. You're not thinking notes. You're just thinking of the sound, and you know where the sound is on the instrument, so you don't need to be uh, given 
other information. <laughs> say those suites that you've written or the orchestral, the pieces that you've written um, with orchestras, that's a whole different uh, ball game really, isn't it? A whole different approach. What satisfaction do you get out of that bigger scale work? Well, I was was, uh, very curious to know uh, because at that time, orchestral players didn't ever look at or touch trad music, well, a lot of them. I was like, see, what could you do with, what, what's their strength? So there's a strength in the orchestra and there's a strength in the trad. So I was trying to fuse them or pick out what was capable of in in both of them and that they would meet and get uh, friendly with one another. And do you think they talk to each other, those two traditions, well? Uh, it, yeah, if, you, if you're aware, if, you're, if, if that's the... If that's the uh, what you're seeking, then you re- you write in that w- mind, and uh, it can work. Yeah. mentioned your start into piano which was uh, your your mum guided you there but how how did you come to the fiddle what was your route into the fiddle well my my en- entry to trad and the fiddle and all that I suppose it started uh, when I was about two when the mummers came and there was a fiddler with the mummers and I was brought down out of my sleep to listen to the fiddler uh, and that was John Gordon and then at four, I heard Ben practising. I was outside in November and there was a frost and it was nice air and the notes were floating along out to the, the turf shed where I was getting bringing in the little bag of turf from the, for the fire. I said, I, I, said I, must, I must learn. That sounds lovely. I must learn that. So... Nothing happened until I was six because I wasn't allowed to go near the instrument. And then at six, I um, I started. And I could get the notes quickly enough, but I, of course it was a full-size fiddle, which was another problem. But I couldn't get, I had no feel for the, how to parse it, if you like, how to, how to the, set it and how to bow it. And I, it it was a problem for me because I had, I had the notes very quickly, but when I was playing them, I wasn't playing them. I wasn't phrasing them. I didn't know anything about phrasing, and I had 
I didn't stop. I was too much of a hurry. I didn't stop to think about how you should phrase. So I, I'm still looking at trying to phrase. <laughs> uh, still learning, but uh, yeah. And funnily enough, I had phrasing on the piano, <coughs> no problem at all. But fiddle, I was. It was just wasn't perfect, you know. So you didn't have a teacher then, or did no, you? no teacher. And uh, if I had a teacher, they would have spotted it early on. Mm. Um, yeah. Apart from her, as well as Ben, who were the other people who, who would have played or who you John would have heard? John Gordon would have been the idol, yeah. 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 He was fantastic tell at that me, stage. Tell me about him. Well, he lived uh, in just over the border. We were right on the border from Anna. And he lived about a mile and a half or so in. And he played with a band in Kilty. And he would come in on a Sunday night and play. But then he would call in to our house. And he might call in and play for an hour, maybe. And he'd asked my mother to play the piano, and he liked to have the piano with him uh, playing. But he was per- he was absolutely perfect. Talk about phrasing, and talk about style, and talk about like, how sweet it was, you know, pitching. So that that really was a great start for me. Now I now I never had any conversation with him because I was seven or eight, and he he was seventeen or eighteen or whatever. But uh, I watched him, and I, you know, I, I, I still rem- can remember uh, the last night he left because he was going over to Scotland. This was forty-eight, and he, he put the fiddle, he put the knock um, leg over like this to to leave room for the movement of the bow, and he just sat down like that, and he played turn of the Tarbolton set. And that's still in my memory. Where did that come from? Whose was it? Or uh, ben had had the fiddle, yeah. And um, you see, when I was young, they were afraid I'd let it fall and I'd break it. And you know, and yeah. So I had a chance when 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 Ben was working to um, to go. Like, of course, you're you're like this, you know. Because it was so big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I didn't. I wasn't thinking of that. And what kind of music did your mother play on the piano? She played pop, what we call now pop music. She played uh, the latest hits. Music, hits, the latest hits. <laughs> and she had ballads. And my father played, or didn't, well, he played a bit on the fiddle, but he had a good voice and he loved the uh, the good ballads of Ireland. 
um, and he'd sing them when he was working. Um, so he 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 had a different set, and um, so he was on the traditional side, if you like. Uh, whereas my mother was, she was a, an act, an actress. She was singing and dancing, and even then when she was in the kitchen, she was always going. She teach us to dance as well. Um, so when yourself and Ben got a bit older then and you were both able to play, would you have travelled for music then? Would you have yeah. had adventures in music? Yeah. He, um, maybe once a week or once a fortnight, he'd decide to go to a certain house which might be a couple of miles away or closer or whatever. And so... I'd put my little overcoat on, and he'd put me on the bar of the bike, and I would I would hold the fiddle, his fiddle, and we'd travel to unannounced, like you know. So there was never any preparation, or <laughs> there was no inv invitations of that. You just open the door and you go in. So I went in. Gil Martin was his name, and um, all I could look at was he had a peg leg. I was sitting at the fire and he had the leg off and I kept looking at him. <laughs> but he played fiddle, of course, and then they got me to play um, the, the tune on the fiddle. Um, and, of course, Ben played. So we spent the night there and made, I think they made tea and there was a lovely fire on and you just walk in. You know, then and maybe what fortnight later he'd bring to another house. At that time, there was quite a lot of people around Kilty played fiddle, and nearly every house had a fiddle. Um, and so there were some quite nice players, and some were not great, but there was the interest there. Given the amount of music that you've written, the amount of albums you've played on, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of amount of time uh, that you have given to music in your career, people would be forgiven for thinking that that was your full time job all your life. But of course, it wasn't until quite late. Tell me about your day job. Well, my day job was, uh, uh, I don't know where I'd start. <laughs> I was a failure at school, so I dropped out. This is a national school, primary school. And um, so I tried trades, I tried different trades, and none of them really suited my I was happy with. My father was a tailor and I worked with him for about three months. Then he was also a farmer, so we worked on the farm a lot. And then I was asked to join a commercial band, a touring band, when I was 17. So that was the way then I was early able to earn a few bob. It was quite a good pay. We toured all over Ireland and Scotland and England. What kind of music were you? Mainly Cayley music, 
but there'd be there'd be waltzes. Well, there'd be fear fear uh, dance, <laughs> and there would be uh, then the waltzes, or or we'd have the the gay gardens or some, some all kinds like that. Yeah. So I was three years there, and I decided that really it was great and it was lovely when you be young, but I didn't see it as a, a way of life. So uh, my brother, one of my brothers was in, in America, he was in the army at the time actually, and he came home and he was asking me what do I do, and, and I told him and he said, what do you think of um, getting a bit of education? And I said, I would love to, but um, so I can't get it, I can't go anywhere. And he said, well, there's these people in England, uh, Cambridge um, School, uh, and he said, they, you can do it on, on the post. So I said, oh, oh, that's interesting. So he gave me a, an address to write to, and this came back and said, yeah. So they started me at grade four primary school, and I spent two years with them yeah. at the post. How old were you when you began that? Twenty. Twenty. Okay. Yeah. So at at twenty or at twenty two, I I dropped out mainly out of um, touring and all that. I gave up the band first of all, and then there was other bands that would come and ask me to join. Some sometimes it would be a trial, or sometimes it would be kind of pop as well. But um, by the end of the two years, then I had got a number of. O levels and I got maths A level and then I did another year in in a college and that gave me a lot of more so I got to get into university. So I got into university and I did maths physics for four years and then I got a good result and then they offered me a research uh, post to do a, a PhD in nuclear physics so I did that three Three in three years, and then I gave all that up and I went into business as a mathematician. I have so many questions off the back of that story. <laughs> I'm not sure where to start, but that's some journey for somebody who fell out of primary school. That's some that's a very uh, as an educational journey. That's amazing. To... Uh, well, I just liked it uh, once I got going. And why do you think you fell out of primary school in the first place? Because you obviously had an aptitude for for academic uh, well, learning. Yeah, we had a lot of things. We lost the master. The master died, and we had no master for quite a while. And I was ill every every winter with um, uh, chest problems because I got them when I was two, and, and uh, so I'd be out of out for a month or maybe more, and I, I fell back. And I never got up again. <laughs> Nuclear physics, as well, at that time. I'm sure it was very pioneering, a very interesting, yeah. Yeah, because I had, and I got a chance to actually be in a group down in in the south, uh, sort of big research centre there, and there was the start of the hunt for energy as in the sun, you know, so the conversion of energy from hydrogen to helium, which was a huge change in energy levels at that point. So I got a, a, an early look at that. And then uh, in the PhD, we looked more at inside in the uh, 
what was happening, we, you had your, your beam and you crashed it into whatever that you were interested in to, to get delved into to see what was going on and so on. And that, that was very exciting, yeah, it was. Um, but I wanted to come back to Ireland. I got had married at that stage, Sheila, from here. And I wanted to get back, and there was nothing happening here that would be that I would have been able to. Well, there was no machine like. Uh, um, so, as as I did then, I started building model, mathematical models at government level, and um, that got me going into uh, consulting. So I spent all the rest of the years in. in consulting and, and in software, developing software. And writing tunes on the bus in and out every day, or on the train. Yeah. <coughs> the, or not the, the dart, the dart. Um, they say that the mind, the, the mathematical mind and the musical mind, um, you know, are, are connected. Would you say that there are connections there between those two disciplines? Yeah, there is a connection in the thinking. I think there's a sort of a, an ability to see the opportunities you know of of two different areas or in even in the one area your mind i think gets familiar with trying to match some area over here to some area over there where there's no obvious connection so in the music i just feel that it's it's going to come out connected and that there's a that there's the ability to come up with something that comes together well without uh, naturally if you like so the natural way of thinking helps i think to identify and hear or see or whatever think about two different things that can be related the relationship isn't very clear to begin with but that's the way i think anyhow um, that's the thinking that you have applied then to your music composition, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there is a pattern, or you make a pattern. You you have something that's small, but it evolves in a in a connected area, even though you're not actually having to think about it. Mm. You just feel it, uh, and you dismiss what is not part of that pattern. You know. Mm. Um. You know, given the amount of your life that you've spent in music, you know, do you when you think about it, what what does it, it clearly matters a lot to you, Irish traditional music? What does it mean to you? I mean, is it is it the music itself? Is it the community? What has it been for you? Do you think? I think I would have been dead years and years ago if I hadn't had the music. I, I don't think I would have been able to stick it uh, the long hours and the, um, the 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 hard work really that you were doing. So the music was an escape route, if you like, uh, and of course it had repercussions in terms of you weren't with your family as much as you would normally have been. You'd come home and you'd have your dinner and you'd have a little bit of listening to the kids or talking to your wife or whatever, and then the, you'd leave uh, for a gig somewhere or other. That time in Dublin, the 70s, was alive with music. It was absolutely throbbing with music. And in the Abbey Tavern, it wasn't tourists that was coming, it was people from 
uh, from the city going going out, and the ballads were of course big thing and the the the, the ballad singers and the groups and all of that. It was evolving and evolving right through the seventies and eighties. Very lively place to be. And who would you have played with in Dublin in those years? Oh my God! <laughs> How long do I have? Is <laughs> Matt Malloy. We did it three years with Matt Malloy in the Sheeling, uh, three nights a week, and in, I did in Hoth, the um, Abbey Tavern. And then I would be part of a band, and they'd be playing here, or a part of a band there, or the castle, or uh, others. And then Kieran would be phoning me on a Saturday and asking me to come in because somebody want, must have been recording and they had to have me and all this. So it was all go. It was all go. But um, yeah, no, music was my passion, I suppose. And I got new energy from it, really. I did get energy from it. Accompanying traditional music, because I know, obviously you know the tunes inside out because you play them, but there's an art, isn't there, in 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 accompanying? What do you see as your role when you sit down with, you know, somebody playing the fiddle or the accordion, um, and you're playing with them on piano? Yeah, it's an interesting study. I I got to thinking about it in the sixties. I think at the time I I was listening to pianists and they were very poor, and. You know, if you go back a bit, there was um, some recordings done in the 30s and there was a um, pianist from from Dundalk, I think, a girl, and she was lovely, she was brilliant. And also in America, there was a woman that backed, uh, she played melody actually on the piano, but most of the pianists didn't have a lot of imagination and they didn't have enough skill and they didn't understand the, the, the movement of the harmonies of the chords I said it has to, there's some, there has to be some way better than what's happening at the moment uh, and so I sat down at the piano and started to think about what, what opportunities are there to amplify I suppose or support the, say the, the soloist because it's not a duet, it's a, it's a soloist, so you're you're accompanying them, and so you're not helping them if you if you're not if you're not doing things the right way. So also the timing is different, and you have to listen to their timing, and you have to take that into account. And everybody's different, the, that whole phrasing and the style and all of that. So. I worked on that for for a while, and then Joe Burke came along and asked me would I back him on a competition was doing the country, and uh, I did that, and then we went through and we won through to the end, and it was on the television. So that was the first time people. Uh, so the, we did an album and we did this appearance. 
So then people started, oh, where does all this sound coming from? And what are you doing there? And can I tell me what, what is it? What is, what's going on? And of course, you can't because it's different every time you sit down, it's different. But it did start a trend. And they did start then looking to see, oh, so these these cars you have you have to you have to put them in somewhere here and there. So they that has come so far in the last fifty years. And Geraldine Cottrell would say, Well that's you you started that movement. <laughs> so I don't know if I did, but I mean I definitely the the standard came up and up and up. <laughs> all your travels in different parts of Ireland and in England you've ended up here in Onspidjail mm-hmm. um, was it your marriage to Sheila that brought you to Spidal in the first place? Of course place? yeah yeah we met at the flag hole in Zonas in 64 and she was on she was she was singing uh, both in Irish and English she bought both, won both of them and I was playing a duet with one of the band from the Liverpool and we won there so we met at what they had called what they called the the, the winners concert, if you like, and that, that was the start of it. So uh, two years later, we were married, and I was in the middle of doing a PhD, and she was in Ireland, and I was in England, and it uh, it took a bit of um, energy and, and perseverance to try. And also, we had our first child fairly uh, fairly early on from you know, within a year of her marriage, that wasn't really part of the plan, but, because uh, I wasn't working, you know, I was, well, I was paid a small amount, but, uh, so she was working as a teacher, and she had been trained as a teacher in England, and so it was rough, and uh, it was it, it was a fantastic challenge, and we really threw our hearts into it, and now we're here, but yeah, there was always the back in the background. There was the feeling that we live in Spittal at some stage. So I got out at at sixty, got out of the work. Got out. <laughs> oh, and tell me, there's there's lots of music, I think, amongst the next generation of your family. Yeah, thank God. Um, all, we had two 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 boys and a girl. And all of them, were, they are very, very musical. And then their kids are learning at the moment. So the music is there, and it's a matter of encouraging it and, you know, let, allow them to develop with it. And if they want to continue, well, they're good, or if they want to just as a pastime or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, we're blessed with the genes that keep the music flowing. Yeah. And <clears throat> I was curious, coming in here today... Um because I don't think Irish Irish wouldn't have been your language growing up or anything, but then you're here in Nansvidale and, and Irish is part of your community here and also in the Studio Cúin here. Does it have a, an important role for you now in your life? Very much so, yeah. And I um, I love talking with the locals and they, and, you know, they take me in as part of, as a, as a local 
because I and the way I learned them, the language was listening to the locals. So I'm quite happy chatting with the locals. If I if it's formal, then I have no background in in in, uh, in the language at all. But um, it's a very rich language, and then the songs very very rich in every way. And the fact that my my wife was a well-known singer here, and so I got to places with her that uh, allowed me to enjoy the, the, the singing and the shallows and that. But yes, no, I, I can converse now. The problem is that I'm forgetting words in English, never mind in Irish. <laughs> so I, I, learn them, I learn the phrase or word and I'm happy with it and then it's gone. So I have to learn it again. <laughs> um. You and I are in here in one of the small studios here in Studio Cuan and as we're here, they're setting up to sound check uh, musicians who are taking part in this tribute concert and Kjohorm Omosh to you, Charlie Lennon, tonight. I, I, I said earlier when I came in, it was like having a birthday with no cake. How does it feel coming into that and are you looking forward to it? I am very much. I mean, it's so um, satisfying, I suppose. So rich to have the great, the best musicians learning the tunes and learning them exactly as I wrote them and then coming together and playing them and in a sense Eilish is, is arranging them for this particular concert and I'm just enjoying it, I'm not nervous at, in any way I'm just laying lay back if you like um the layback jig, I'm working on a jig at the moment. <laughs> the title is <laughs> So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'll be in the audience for the first half and then I'm going to join them in the second half. And just before I let you go, I think the last time I was here, you told me about an album that was close to being finished or on the way. Is there any update on, on that? Well, the update on it is that we have it looked at the mix several times and we're still not happy with the mix. But it's, it's, it's in progress. All of the, yeah. So we, we plan before Christmas to have tid- the tidy up done. But we're too busy here in, in the studio as it happens. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to have it finished. Because I'm working on another album, but it's completely different. And I'm, I can't get to that until I get this one first. So... Well, aren't you in the enviable position now of having two albums on the go as well as a busy studio? So, look at um, congratulations and thanks very much. Agus tasulam gumanatiu tanav asagil harmanocht exkur mahagat. Bolsu, bolsu. Thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original programme. So if you'd like to hear the full tracks, you can go to rt.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And highlights of that concert in tribute to Charlie Lennon were also broadcast on the rolling wave. And you can listen to that on our website as well. Good evening, Hyderella, Guramila Mahagi, Agaslan.